0: Welcome to the Five Song Mixtape where we discuss a new mix each and every week. My name's Michael. I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm RJ. No, you're not finished the song? No. I was hoping it was going to finish the song. <laughs> you got to do the intros. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is this your fucking cowpunk? This is Cowpa. Ah, Jackass. The days. Poor uh, B- Bam Margera, huh? He's having yep. a rough, uh, <laughs> rough go at it recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, there's
1: more about him recently. Oh, I know just... he. It's been tough recently. He got the kicked off the
0: the new Jackass movie. And then he came after them on social media. Then he apologized, saying that his bipolar was getting the best of him. And then he went back at it.
2: (laughs) He is, he's just, he just loves drugs. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. He was on one of the podcasts that I listened to, and he, uh, he was just so fucked up. And then he was like, just saying, how he's like, yeah, I have this like weird thing where I could like name any capital of any country or city in the entire world, <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's that's weird, but I don't think that's true. Like, yeah. you could just be making the shit up. So they did it for like thirty minutes. <laughs> he knew everyone. Like he he has sat down and memorized a map of the world.
0: Oh. So. He's got some stuff going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's either like uh, the trouble with genius is technically like a lot of times uh, crazy um, yeah. follows it, or he's really good at learning on drugs. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> certain drugs will help you learn real good. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we should have um, Steve-O counsel him, like kind of hey, and Amen. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey. hey. These pills are bad for you, man. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Did you ever watch that video of Holly Holm fucking him up? No. Yeah. He's like uh, Steve O's, I don't know. Maybe it's for his podcast or something. I yes. don't know. I he, did see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where she's just like, I'm just going to take you down, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got way more muscles than you do. <laughs> yeah. It, it just made him look stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So today is episode 36 of the podcast. Uh, the title of this mixtape is called "The Eighties Called." They want their themes back. Bring, bring. Now, what That's was the what was your guys's uh, thoughts going into this mix?
2: I didn't really know.
0: Hmm. Like, w- without listening to it, I was like, I,
2: I could either love this or just like, be totally care. turned off by the entire thing. Yeah. And I started thinking about, like, movie soundtracks and movie scores, and I was thinking of all the big ones, like, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, um, uh, you know, The Greats, those two. <laughs> Jurassic okay. Park was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. And, uh, like, how iconic those are to it. I'm all the in. same. Composer. Is it John Williams? Yeah, for all three of those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah and then I uh, sat down and listened to it, and I realized that more movies had scores that I never even realized. And I feel like it's something that has kind of like died off.
0: Mm, yes, you know? 100%. no, one hundred percent. Especially, uh, they they type, they kind of like pick and choose what they're going to take and bring along into the future. Um, yeah. As far as like what composers are still doing today, yeah, because I watched uh Chinatown last week. Oh, before. yeah, yeah, such the, a good movie! Yeah, so convoluted. It's all about water rights, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's it's, but it's, it's, it's a, all
2: fascinating, yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things
2: and really has nothing to do with Chinatown. <laughs> it's a three hour movie that has 20 minutes that have to do with Chinatown, yeah. you know. <laughs> Like, there's more to it than that. But uh, I noticed in that, like, uh, beginning, you know, title sequence had, you know, a composition for it. And the the closing credits had a score. Yeah. And uh, there's something about that that I feel like the Steven Spielberg movies of the 90s um, kind of remind me of movies of that era. It's kind of like a callback to that.
0: Yeah. Just having a score in general. Yeah. Yeah. RJ. Yes. You're not the movie g- movie guy, right? You're like a TV show guy. I'm. I'm just it's just the TV in He's general. He's an audiobook guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what were I've your seen thoughts? on? Some going of in. these movies, like just going, I was like, I've seen that. I haven't seen that. Um, yeah. Some of them are I was excited about because I've seen the movies. Uh, just. Literally brought a bag of popcorn with me everywhere I went just in case I did listen to the mix. <laughs> I got up. You know, you have to have your popcorn. This would have been way better with popcorn. Yeah, You should have listened to it with me. I always had two bags. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> smelled popcorn. I thought I was having a stroke. Mm-hmm. It was, I, know. That's I was good listening to, know. to it. Yeah. Right. yeah, but I was wanted to see how it all went together. And then, you know, just I think that's it.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. This is the first time that we've done... Um, a mix where there's no singing. Yeah. No. No. Like We've got some talking, but that's
2: it. That's true. Yeah. I've thought about making a mix that was all instrumentals, and I was like, I don't think I could do that and make it interesting. <laughs> you might. I'm, re- I'm rethinking it now. <laughs> no. Because if it's just, you know, like guitar instrumentals, yeah, or something similar, like... I feel like movie scores have a lot more to them than just well, guitar
0: instrumentals, you yes. know? Yes. Well, yeah, let's explain what, why that is, okay? Okay. So the 80s called, they want their themes back. Now, uh, a theme in music composition or scores for movies, it's very particular, right? It's something that they brought from, like, Broadway and from musicals, and they were able to eventually successfully bring it into film. And John Williams was basically the guy, not the first one to do themes, but he's really the guy who made it uh, become a thing. Um, His first big score was Jaws, and Jaws has a very particular theme, right? And that Mm -hmm. theme, it's not that it's like a piece of music in the movie. It's (sighs) that that theme represents the monster. Yeah. That it's specifically for the shark, so whenever the shark is around – the threat of the shark is going to be there suddenly when you're listening to the score that theme pops up yeah and so that's where it starts with him and then a lot of other composers started to adapting that because it's really smart for filmmaking it's the reason why when you're explaining an instrumental compared to these there's so much more to these songs because of the themes because you can see the character yes yes you know, like wh- if you're just yeah. playing like a guitar solo for six minutes, it's like, I don't I don't see a Power Ranger. I mean, you might if you play the Power Ranger theme, but there's some music <laughs> in there. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. But you're just relating that
2: in your head. It's not an actual yeah. thing, you yeah. know.
0: <laughs> like, I saw Power Rangers. This is Power Ranger's
2: song, <laughs> therefore Power Ranger. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um I never thought of it like that, but it's totally true. I remember the the old like Looney Tunes where they had Uh, like the musical versions of that i forgot what it was called but they would just do like a play Mm -hmm. you know an old uh an old story like an old greek story or something and set it to like piano and basically score the entire thing with no talking and it was like they animated what was already animated in the music Mm -hmm. you know so it makes you realize that there's like I mean, it's all these like elements of art and principles of design actually that they have in like painting. You know, when you talk about movement in a painting, it's like, well, things don't really move in a painting. Exactly. Like you can imply it. Yeah. So it's the same thing for this, the scores like they imply a story being told. Mm hmm. That you know
0: isn't being told through normal words, so right, and you can you can see yeah. so like Star Wars is the perfect example of this because by the time Williams he does Jaws he does Close Encounters and by the time he gets to Star Wars he's basically has this completely mapped out and if you look at the original trilogy of Star Wars he has specific themes for each character, each main character, yeah, he has specific themes for ships that eventually he has a theme for a Millennium Falcon. Like eventually <laughs> that happens. It happens way later outside of the original trilogy, but he's able to figure out like, if I make a theme that's specific to this one thing, whenever that thing comes back, I'll just throw that theme back in. And so like, uh, when, if when you see like a like a large battle sequence or something, and you're, you, if you pay attention to the score, like you'll see this layering of all of these different themes. And then eventually you could just listen to the score and you know what's happening in the movie. Yeah, because the themes are coming in and out.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So hearing this, I've never thought about this before, but there's certain instrumental bands that I that I love, like mm-hmm. Caspian. Yeah. And there's ones that I just listen to and I'm like, I I like it. It's yeah. cool. And same thing with um like there's certain songs by certain bands where I'm like, Yeah, I like I feel something with this one. But I think what Caspian does is they kind of play on that same uh the same idea. But they they tell a story in some of their songs that isn't really, you know, I guess it's open to interpretation, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: not a lot of other bands really have that. Like, yeah, in jazz, like there's like the idea of jazz is like a central melody that everything is based around. Yeah. And then it's just kind of, you know, expanding out and exploding out around that central idea. And a lot of these instrumental bands do the same thing. But only a few of them do it in an organized. It's kind of like organized jazz. Like they're directing where it's going to go instead of just letting it flow
0: free. It's interesting. I don't know if any uh, band has done this before. I would love to see someone attempt it, which is like basically write a short story and then write pieces of music for each character. And then string those pieces of music together in an album with no vocals. So it's telling the short story yeah it's i guess it's technically a concept album but with no words yeah i would be i would love i don't know if anyone's done it before or maybe they have and it wasn't successful but i would love for people to attempt it i would be
2: curious to hear like some coheed and cambria albums without vocals yeah that'd be interesting you know i wonder if he does that yeah because they each song evokes a different emotion for me yeah you know there's like There's a real ebb and flow of emotions throughout their albums, and like some of them are just like crazy happy, and it's like goes into this like dark droning thing for a long time. It's like I feel (laughs) I feel what you're getting at.
0: Yeah, I don't even know the lyrics to any of those songs, but I know the story. You know, right? So
2: that's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's so iconic. With the, the reason why I chose the '80s. For this is because by the time that because williams starts this in the mid 70s and then by the time you get to the 80s this is basically foundation for most cinema at this point where like everyone is kind of on the same page that's like oh yeah let's just make a theme for a character and then we'll bring that in and out to tell the story with the score as the movie's going on because Luke, george lucas when he the reason why he wanted to work with uh, williams on star wars is because He was trying to make something that used to happen, uh, like these pulpy, uh, shorter, Flash Gordon-type serials. He wanted to make that with Star Wars. And with those, he wanted to make sure that people can watch Star Wars as a silent movie, but it's still good because the score makes up for everything. Mm. And so that was the concept for how they really started developing themes, is like, if the movie works with no talking, then it's successful. That's so
2: interesting. Yeah. Because then you have like no country for old men on the opposite spectrum almost no that. score. There's I mean technically no score because yeah. all of the music in that I- movie happens in the world of the movie.
0: Yeah, they call that diegetic it's- music.
2: Yeah. So yeah. that that's the only music that's in the movie is the uh, and I don't even think there's any ominous tones. No. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of just an abstraction of the whole idea of scores in general. Yeah.
1: Then we have like uh, movies like Space Jam, lots of scores. <laughs> yeah. So many scores. I mean the yeah. Monstars scored on
0: <laughs> score. R. Kelly, on them so R. Kelly many was times. peeing
1: on people scoring.
0: I don't think that was in the movie. <laughs> you know Maybe that you deleted scenes. One of the movies on this mixtape is the movie that really started to define that coming into the nineties. Um, because that was not prevalent as nearly like you would have like a hit Wait, song from a movie. Peeing on people? no like you would have like nine to five like you'd have nine to five the song you'd have nine to five the movie and there you go right but you wouldn't necessarily have a whole movie dedicated to a soundtrack got it yeah and that that doesn't happen until this one movie on this on this list and then and then that rolls right into the 90s where it's like let's just do this for everything (laughs) Mm. and then that's what kills scores that is true, <laughs> because I see like
2: at like in the very beginning. I can't think of an example, but I hear like um, like a hootie and the Blowfish song in a trailer for some romantic comedy. I'm like, oh yeah, scores are gone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, they, like songs will now be associated with movies. Yeah, legitimately, they. I mean, there's still a couple that are composers that are still working today. But they're basically, they're one of the other reasons why I wanted to build this list is because those composers that are successful today with making movie scores are basically just pulling from these guys. Uh, they're mm. just It's really prominent. And like So when they're making a score for a film, a filmmaker will make something called a temp score. And the temp score is basically, he'll take music that's already existing and then put it to the movie. And then the composer looks at that piece of music and listens to it and then makes their own version of it yeah and so like it's very it's very prominent in film scores i mean when you look at one of these guys on this list ennio morricone he has like 80 something movies attached to him or something ridiculous like that yeah and it's like how can you make that much music and it's like well you just like you kind of recycle things you recycle them you tweak them a little bit you make them your own just a little bit i mean john williams for sure did yeah i mean like, it's but very, it's great yeah like it's very famous but, in Star Wars. Like if you're, uh, there's stuff called like the writer's spring, which is like this old like uh, I don't think it's Chopin. I can't it's remember. It's a punk band from eighties. <laughs> yeah, they but, invented emo. You know. But he was just like pulling from like Gershwin and like older stuff of these guys and being like, oh, I'll just like tweak what they're doing in this old fucking classical score or classical piece of music. And just make it to this movie and slightly tweaked. And like people who aren't familiar with film scores and like how they do them, they they'll like go after composers and be like, You're stealing and it's like, No 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 bro, this is how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at any musical.
2: Yeah. You know, like <laughs> West Side story versus Rent. It's like you're yeah. singing
0: in the same way that they're singing
2: in cats. <laughs> it's like, it's a fucking musical. musical. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> when you're a shark, you're a shark. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's so interesting. Yeah. I'm a big it's fan. Like of a whole other
2: world of music.
0: Yeah, like, it really is. Like, I'm a huge fan of scores. It's one of the reasons why, like, I kind of stopped listening to a lot of music. Before we started doing this podcast, I was really not listening to, like, bands for, like, almost a decade. Because I was just listening to film scores. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, yeah, Interesting. I, just, I love film scores, and they're they're so they they do a lot for me. Except for when it comes to for me personally, when it comes to working out, I can't listen to them. But I can basically do everything else to yeah. them. Um, yeah. But yeah. So film scores
2: versus soundtracks, like how would you, how do you how do you feel about that? Like Garden State soundtrack, that one in general pops out to me as being kind of like. Those songs are
0: iconic to Garden State. Kind yeah, of associated it's, with it for me. Donald Faison gave like uh, Zach Braff shit once. He's like, "Yeah, you got like a Grammy for making a playlist." <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> so, so like, is there any merit to that? Because it I works mean, really well in that movie. Yeah. So,
0: I think <sighs> if the if the piece of music defines the scenes, then it, then it I like it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the piece of music, it doesn't matter if there's if it's from an existing piece of music. We talked about on another or an early podcast where it's like specific music made for the movie.
2: Like Skyfall. Yeah, exactly. Like as long as Lana
0: Del Rey. Yeah, as long as it defines that image or that sequence of images, then I'm all yeah, you know. Because that in itself becomes a score of sorts,
2: but it's in song form instead. Yeah. But if it's like that Lana Del Rey song.
0: That uh, RJ was talking about fucking Ray Montana last week about having that song at the end of uh, The Town, the Jolene song or whatever. Oh, it's yeah. Like, that doesn't define shit. You're just putting that on the, credits. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it, yeah. It's over the credits. <laughs> it's like, why not put Jay yeah. well, I was involved that's with them. Yeah. They were involved.
1: So you gotta put them on there. Like, I, I had something to do with it. I get
2: it. Yeah. That's interesting because also, like, in music in general, the thing that most people like about music is that somebody created this because they felt they needed to express themselves, so with yeah. the exception of like mainstream music. But scores are created for a purpose. Yeah. So it's more of a collaborative process with the filmmaker. Yeah, because you're expressing you
0: know? what they want.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's an interesting dichotomy between these artists that are just making music for themselves and they're like, I need to put this out there. And then these artists that are making music for somebody else, an artist in an equal sense that's still making this film. And it's like, I need, you know, this music for my movie. They're just basically being hired for it, but it's right. still as fascinating as, you know, somebody putting out passionate music, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's why what's his, uh, what's his bucket from, we talked about him with uh, Suspiria from uh, Radiohead. Oh, um, Tom York. Tom York, yeah. That's why he's so interesting because he does both. Yeah. He's like, I'm just gonna yeah. make music for the movie, and then I'm also gonna sing every now yes. and then. Yes. <laughs> he did that for was it him for Motherless Brooklyn? That sounds right.
2: I think it was him. Yeah. Or maybe there was some like rap song. No, it was him. Yeah. And I remember hearing that and being like, "Ah, oh, fuck. That's going to suck. I want like an old film noir style movie. Right. And I can't be hearing beeps and boops in there from Radiohead. <laughs> but I watched the movie, and it fit perfectly. And I want to go back and listen to that. Yeah. And just see what he did. Like, how did he get away with that?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know? All right. Let's get into this. Uh, starting off with track number one on the mix, uh, we've got The Terminator, which is the main title from The Terminator. Um, Choo. <laughs> from uh, brad fidel um so brad fidel he's an american composer uh scores film for and television he's best known for his collaboration with james cameron on the terminator and his critically acclaimed sequel terminator 2 judgment day on these scores he used a synthesizer heavy approach but also composed a number of scores utilizing various acoustic instruments including Full Orchestra. He retired from film scores in the late 90s, now focused primarily on creating original musicals. Uh, his works also include other films, um, such as Fright Night and its sequel, uh, Blue Steel, True Lies, Johnny M- Mnemonic, um, and then The Terminator that came out in 1984, made by James Cameron, starring Mr. Schwarzenegger himself, a Cyborg Assassin, sent back in time, pretty cool movie, love the movie. Uh, but the Terminator soundtrack was composed and performed by uh, Brad here. Uh, let's see. He says Fidel was with the Gorfane Schwartz Agency, where he knew agent Beth Donahue, uh, found that Cameron was working on the Terminator, and sent him a cassette of Fidel's music. Fidel was invited to the screening of the film with Cameron and Heard. Uh, Heard was not certain about having Fidel compose the score, as he had only worked in television and not theatrical films. Fidel convinced the two by showing them an experimental piece He had worked on thinking that, you know, I'm going to play this for him because it's really dark and I think it's interesting for him. The song convinced Heard and Cameron to hire him. Uh, Fidel said his score reflected a mechanical man and his heartbeat. Almost all the music was performed live. The Terminator theme is used in the opening credits and appears in various points, such uh, as a slowed version when Reese dies and a piano version during the love scene. It has been described as haunting with a deceptively simple melody. It is in a time signature of 1316, Mm. uh, which came about as Fidel experimented with rhythm tracks on his Prophet 10 synthesizer. It was initially an accident, but Fidel found that he liked the herky-jerky propulsiveness. Uh, Fidel created music for Reese and Connor escape from the police station that would be appropriate for heroic moments. Uh, Cameron turned down this theme as he believed it would lose the audience excitement. Um, so a lot of information in there. Uh, one thing I wanted to pull out was that this is very common in film scores and people don't really recognize this, but when the film is next to done, like it's almost fully finished, that's when the composer starts to work on it. So it's not like the film is being made typically and the composer's making it with the filmmaker. It's that the film's mm-hmm. done the film's ready to come out in two to three months, and then it's up to the composer to basically make the whole score with it within a couple weeks. So Lost Boys, mm-hmm.
2: that dude for that song, the ah, little sister. I remember reading he did not – Want to see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he did not want to know who was in the movie. Right. And he didn't want to know what it was about. <laughs> and he wrote that. He pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> Which, hearing all those, those explanations of scores,
0: I'm, yeah. I'm mystified by them still. <laughs> yeah. But normally yeah. these guys will see a film and be like, okay, I have some ideas. And then they start just tinkering away with it with the filmmaker of just like building a score after the whole movie's done. Um, which is pretty interesting with how they make those. And then, uh, so there's a couple things with this piece of music itself. Um, You you have two separate themes in this piece of music, and that's why I wanted to kind of talk about this one. Specifically, you've got the theme that is associated with the Terminator, which is the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun, right? And then you've got a separate theme, which is the theme for the franchise, which is the
3: do-do-do, (laughs) do-do,
0: that that cool little synth line that he's got there. Yeah. And so you you have two separate themes inside this piece of music which helps define the whole Terminator franchise going forward. Like, for most people who like the Terminator, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, that music is synonymous with the whole franchise. Yes, and then if you're in, if you like the franchise a lot, you'll know that the do doo doo. That's kind of like the the theme. That's not specifically for the cyborg. It's for just like the whole franchise.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So, so this was the f- this was from the first movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they kind of just kept with that theme throughout the whole franchise.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. So essentially. Kinda- once a piece of music is made for a theme for a character that works, they'll use it forever. So, like, in the last season of The Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker shows up. Like, you're going to use – they didn't use Luke Skywalker's theme. But what you would use is, like, okay, let's say in Rise of Sky – or not. All Let's say in Force Awakens <laughs> <laughs> when Luke Skywalker shows up. 30 years oh, later, you you you're still – You mean the 5 minutes scene <laughs> of them staring back and forth at each other? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. You're going to use Luke Skywalker's theme still. Yeah. So every time that the Terminator still shows up in these franchises, doesn't matter when, like you're still going to use the dun 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 dun, every time. Yeah. Yeah. What's also interesting about this piece of music is it's in the very opening of it. I think it's within the first like 30 seconds. You hear a very distinct, and then it never happens again. Yes. And then there's a film composer in the last couple of decades that has built a career on braw jj abrams no guys i'm he's, not him but the guy that does them uh han zimmer oh yeah mr han zimmer has basically built a career on like just doing <laughs> 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 and so that's why it's the 80s called they want their themes back it's because there's it's directly in this piece of music of someone building their whole career from this one note and then uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was in Tenet. Oh it's well, yeah, it is in Tenet, but that's Johan Johor Johan Johorgensen. And he is way better than Hans. That score Ooh. is so much better than, fired, the, than the Inception <laughs> score. <laughs> Johan's yeah. my man. He's he's my man recently. He did the the Mandalorian movies. Um he was the uh film he was the music supervisor. However, you want to put it on the trolls movie. it's <laughs> <sounds> pretty cool. <laughs>
2: yeah, but I've heard those trolls movies are great. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing with the Lego
0: movies. It's like I will accept what everybody says about them and never watch them. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Now, RJ, yes. had you ever just have you seen any of the Terminators? I have. Did, did this? I'd say he's not going to say it, but I'd say
2: he's really into the Terminator franchise. Who oh, are you? Yeah, I would say. Jurassic Park, okay. I'd say Harry Potter number one. Ooh, you're a piehead. I'd say Jurassic Park number two and probably Terminator number three. Wait, wait,
1: Jurassic Park number two? No, no,
2: no. Okay. For franchises for you. you. That big old dinosaur (laughs) (laughs) shit. But franchises for you. Harry Potter. I like Harry Potter. Jurassic
1: Park. I love Jurassic
2: Park. Terminator is pretty sick. Is there anything else? <laughs> Any other franchises or movies in general? Well, like, I like Star I you- Wars.
1: There's parts of Star Wars that I'm like, that's sick too, but yeah. I think I like the newer What them. about Marvel? I, I'm getting tired of them, but I do enjoy them.
0: I'd say like, Terminator over Marvel. Got yeah. It. Which is interesting so- because Terminator basically has two good movies. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: (laughs) all the other ones i'm just like yeah whatever (laughs) they've got like five or six movies but they're not good
2: (laughs) yes but i enjoyed them the way i enjoy fast and the furious like there's not much there's not much to it but it's easy to watch see and
0: i'm a big fan of family so i disagree with you Oh, so, <laughs> so you are, you're telling me you're really into the Fast and the Furious? I am. I yeah. love family. Oh, I do everything for family. I love uh, a white shirt with white jeans. It's my oh, favorite. Oh, hell yeah. Do you have a cross necklace? <laughs> Gotta have the cross necklace. <laughs>
2: um, but I compare it to that in a way because it's, it's entertaining, whereas like, there's shit like, um, like what's that fucking movie Gerard Butler with the sky yeah. falling? And yeah, London. Geo has, fallen. Oh, <laughs> Geo London has fallen. Oh, London has fallen. Actually, that's a better example. Yeah. London has fallen and Olympus has fallen. Yeah, action. Those, movie. yes, like new action movies. Like yeah. they're they're fine. I don't like <laughs> them. I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch them. Yeah. Fast and the Furious is on. I'm like fuck yeah, I'm watching Fast and the Furious. Hell yeah. If a Terminator movie is on, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm watching Terminator. Because I know some cool shit's going to happen, even (laughs) if the story (laughs) sucks. Yeah, like I can always count on that. I was counting on some stupid-ass stunts. I could count on me being like, why did he do that? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) And then me just being like, it doesn't
1: have
0: to make sense.
2: Because
1: it's the Terminator.
0: uh, RJ, were were you familiar with listening to this? Did this sound familiar?
1: Right, as soon as you turn on, I'm like, all right, I know this is the Terminator. Yeah. Like, even if i not even looking. That's awesome. Uh, did you, did so, you feel tough at work? Oh, I, I was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say yes. <laughs> I rocked out to this every time. So, <laughs> At any point, did you say, where is John Connor? <laughs> I did not do Arnold. Oh. But I, I had uh, homework for one of the kids at uh, my work. And I'm like, you know, go watch this. So he came in the next day. He's like, I did my homework. Terminator? Yeah. And I'm like, what did you think? He's like. Well, it was kind of old. <laughs> I was like, "Yes, it, that it, it's 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 original from when it came out. It was something new." He's like, "Yeah, the makeup was kind of bad. Like when the eyeball, the prosthetic yeah. looked terrible." And I was like, "You're in a time." He's like, "I get it for the time. Awesome concept, but it was so predictable." But he's like, "I respect it for you know what where it came from." See, it sounds
0: like he would love Terminator Two then.
1: Well, I was like, yeah, wait till the '90s. Yeah, yeah. wait next one.
0: Because I I prefer the first one over the second one, mostly because it's a low budget like monster movie. That's it, it's not convoluted at all. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the second one, it's convoluted, but it's also just like big action set pieces that are pretty yeah. mm-hmm. cool to watch. Where he jumps
1: the motorcycle like off the top of fuck the, fuck like, yeah! The-
0: <laughs> it's got the beats a of a horror movie.
2: Freeway chase scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the first one has the normal beats of
1: a horror movie.
2: Yeah, exactly. The whole
1: theme changes.
2: Yeah. I So I hadn't watched the first one since probably 1992 when I was like five. And then I rewatched it again recently. I was like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, no. But the whole idea of it was like, yeah, like this could be a horror movie if you replace
0: The Terminator. I mean, it kind of is a horror movie. No, it in is. In a way. Yeah, it's 100% yeah. a horror movie. It's He's just the monster. That's just, yeah, exactly. That's all it is. Yeah, you know? And the whole idea
2: of it did change in T2.
0: Like,
2: yeah. I mean, especially because, you know, he's protecting her this time, blah, blah. Yeah, But it just became an action movie, like a sci-fi action movie at that point. But I remember watching the first one, I was like, this is just exactly like a horror movie. This yeah. is like
0: any 80s horror movie.
2: And it was really good. I really liked it. I got to watch it again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of filmmakers actually start this way. So, like James Cameron, he got to start with uh, fuck, why can't name his Avatar? No, <laughs> uh. no, it's this. Uh, he's a really he's one of he's the most famous low budget filmmaker ever. Um, I can't remember his name. Right oh, now, the dude from um, oh, fuck a, film a, company. A lot of yeah, a lot of people got their start with them. James Cameron included. Um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Um the dude who made uh, the gremlins uh fuck what's his name i can't remember his name either but anyways but like a lot of people get their start with like these low budget monster movies and then eventually with like james cameron and it's the same thing with peter jackson if you look at peter jackson's early work he just made these really interesting horror movies and then they kind of get really distracted with cg and big effects And then suddenly that's all they care about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so it's the same thing with James Cameron. It's like, once he did The Abyss, everything after that, he's like, I just care about making it bigger. It's just big. Yeah. It's like he talked to Michael Bay, and he's like, we need bigger stuff. Everything (laughs) bigger. Michael Bay's the same uh, thing.
2: Was it Lloyd Kaufman? No. From Troma?
0: No, it's not Troma films. Troma started in the, this dude, he started in the 60s. Uh oh, okay. trauma, I think started in like the early 80s maybe maybe late 70s? 70 74 but
2: oh, okay. from what I've heard the the way it happened it's like they took it was technically a company in 74 and then what it is today started in like the 80s because they uh, okay yeah took over a bunch of stuff I think they are part of like that um fuck what's it called They had like all these like B movies that came out in the 80s they were just pumping out
0: movies like a porn studio yeah oh it's fucking roger corman i could could not remember that oh oh yeah Yeah. roger corman he's from trauma um i don't think he's associated with trauma he had his own uh film company um but yeah well like joe dante got a story i want to say that um what's his face fucking ron howard his first film that he was able to do since he was still an actor was with roger corman as well um, but yeah, a lot of these guys, they got huh. their starts with these uh, low-budget, quick, easy movies to make. It's,
2: Yeah, they're interesting companies. It's Troma's not the one I'm thinking of, but there's another one that was out in the 80s and 90s that was like a a film distribution company. Oh, yeah. You're talking... Oh, fuck. What are they called? They're awesome. They
0: did the Ninja movies. Yeah, they did all the Ninjas. They did the He-Man movie. But they had some good um, movies, too. Yeah, they did two of the Superman movies. Yeah. Um Fuck, what's her name? There's a really good documentary on that uh company where, like, it came out a couple of years ago. It was on Netflix. And what they would do is they would make a movie poster, and then they would go to China and then get investors to invest in this movie that hasn't been even gone in production yet. Yeah. And then they would just make make the movie from those investors from that movie poster. Yeah, they're criminals, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to say like one, one of the guys was either Egyptian or Israeli. Um yeah. Yeah, it I think it it was Israeli. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's is gonna bother me. I'll be <laughs> looking
1: it up. Yeah. So yeah. before we move on, um this song, literally you guys already touched on this. I literally thought of the the sequence playlist, the Gerard McMahon one, The Lost Boys. Nice. And I was like, I thought of that just because of the synth. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what the song reminds me of is Shout Tears for Fears no the disturbed version <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> so sorry and i just was laughing so hard when i thought of that <laughs> on my lunch today i was like it, it's just a synth it's what it sounds like and i was like oh
0: i want to hear the disturbed version yeah so i, lis-
1: out. I listened to disturbed today and they're just as bad as they were then <laughs> so bad
0: oh i think so they're so called bad. canon um, canon films that yeah. is it yeah, yeah. yep uh, it's yeah, the, yeah. Synth is synth is interesting because by the time you get to the '80s, it's very prominent. Which I've got a couple scores in here with synth. But in the '70s, it was basically like John Carpenter was just like, "I'm the synth guy." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before synths were even like big. I, yeah, exactly. He's so. like, "This is gonna be my thing," which is still prominent. The uh, I forgot the the dude's name who did who does the Stranger Things uh, stuff. But his synth work is really, really good. Synths. Oh yeah, it's a a Texas band. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of uh, a, survive. Yeah, uh, I think two brothers
2: or something. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Synth is very confusing to me. You have to be like really really mechanically inclined to understand right?
2: I love it. I bought a synth years ago mm-hmm. and I was in the same the same boat. I was like, I don't fucking understand this thing. How do I make music with this thing? <laughs> and uh we were at the practice studio at the time mm-hmm. and Mark Underwood was there who had like a, a uh, rudimentary understanding of ne- synths at the time. Now he's the synth the master. T- <laughs> he is yes, he is the synth lord like <laughs> he he makes synths, basically. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> but he was showing me through some of the things, and he was, like, showing me the difference between, like, square-tooth waves and, like, sawtooth and these, um like, the, the wave patterns and then the uh, attack and release and what that does. He's like, yeah, it's just, like, you focus on, like, these different sounds. Don't think of it as, like, a piano. Yeah, like Think of it as these different tones. And then you can make a song from it based on the sound that you want to make. But... You're creating an instrument, like you're creating a drum, you're creating a piano, you're creating a guitar or a flute. It's like not all of those you want to play the same notes on. It's like mm -hmm. some of them are going to be syncopated, some of them are going to be just played out as notes. Some of them are going to play chords, so you got to like. It's so complex. You have to have something in your head already. Yeah, you know that's why I respect like real people that play synth, like Square Pusher so inventive because he's got to have all this stuff in
0: his head yeah. before he creates it and then actually creates the instruments to create the music. You know? I know. Yeah. That's what's confusing. It's like most people who play synth now, they most, if you don't make your own thing, you're playing a device from yeah. 30 years ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're not playing like a new synth machine unless you well, make it yourself.
2: that's the weird thing. Like all the, like all the, the moogs or I guess moogs, moogs. is how you say it. Yeah. Um All of those are, the same thing, basically. Like, all synths are the same thing. It's just a circuit. And some people get certain tones, Um, and they could be polyphonic or, like, single tone. Yeah. So you can play chords or not, basically. And, yeah, everybody that plays synths these days are just playing, you know, like, Van Halen stuff, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like, or Stranger Things, right. which sounds really good. Yeah. Like, that really, I mean, I'd say the soundtrack or the score to that entire
0: series really helps it be grounded in that time period. Yeah, and yeah. since since they're also so they they said it in this little dialogue about the Terminator theme, which is that he he made it live, and it's it's in a weird timing. It's in thirteen sixteen, and on yeah. top of that, um, this uh, this podcast I listened to went in depth on it. It was a couple of years ago that I heard them talk about it, but it's not a consistent time signature either.
3: Mm. And
0: so, because he's working live off of a synth, he couldn't he couldn't keep it consistent like he wanted to. And so, it's 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 messed up, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> like it, you can, it, it's the same thing with uh, the. Uh, it's another good score. I think the the person's name was Johansson. Uh, I think they passed away, but they made the score to a rival and um, that there's stuff that he Ooh. does there with a uh, synth that people, I think because I think it's a guy, I think because he passed away, people don't know how he did what he did. Like, because synths huh. are so complicated and you're working off of, Typically, old devices like you have to be very mechanically inclined to how they're being ran, and like people are just like, I don't know how we did it. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, Hmm. Yeah.
2: time signatures seem to play into scores a lot too. Um, Mission Impossible was
0: in like seven eight. Dun dun dun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean that. I mean a lot of these guys. John Williams is probably the most famous one. Is but before he was a film composer, he was a jazz man. He's he had. He's known for his black turtlenecks and calling people baby. And he's just a jazz Ooh. hound. <laughs> a real jazz cat. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that. Is that all you have to do? Start wearing turtlenecks and you can call
2: people baby? Yeah. Come on, baby. It's all illusion, baby. <laughs> My jazz every day's cigarettes. Every day is the same day, just a different day. You know what I'm saying, baby?
0: <laughs> um, all right. So moving on from the Terminator, we've got the Batman theme from Danny Elfman. Uh, Danny Elfman, uh, American composer, singer-songwriter, record producer, actor, first became well-known as the singer-songwriter for the new wave band Oingo Bongo in the early <laughs> 1980s, and has since garnered international recognition uh, for composing over 100 feature film scores. Elfman has frequently worked with Mr. Tim Burton, Sam Raimi, Gus Van Sant, and a couple of other people. Uh, so... He's mostly known for the Tim Burton stuff, a little bit for the Sam Raimi stuff. Um, but yeah, Batman, which the the theme made for Batman is something that is still used in Batman movies today. Um, I love his Edward Scissorhands score. It's one of my favorite. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the movie, that film score is one of the best I've ever heard. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Um, the Spider-Man stuff that he did, I don't really care for. The Men in Black stuff he did, the Goodwill Hunting score is good. Um, he's uh, he's made fun of quite a bit. Danny Elfman is. Uh, there's like some, a couple of a, uh, uh, Family Guy episodes where they make fun of him. Um, yeah he has like a very specific way (laughs) that he scores most things yeah uh among his honors are four oscar nominations two emmy awards a grammy six saturn awards uh so batman came out in 1989 uh made by tim burton uh it's the first real batman movie um after burton was hired in 1986 went through a bunch of different stuff but he uh burton made beetlejuice in between then love beetlejuice Love that movie. Um Danny Elfman, he worked with uh I believe Tim Burton first on um the Pee-wee Herman movie. And that film score is pretty interesting. Uh but the Batman theme went on to become an iconic piece that served as the basis for the theme music and played in some episodes of Batman the Animated series, which premiered in 1992. Although this was later changed, some parts of Elfman's score are also heard in Lego Batman video games, like uh, some other Lego stuff, Um, and the Arkham Knight games, the Justice League movie, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, So, I'm not like the hugest Danny Elfman fan. I'm not a fan of this Batman movie. I'm not really a fan of any of these 90s, late 80s, and 90s Batman movies. Um, But... I love this theme. I, t- I just love it. Which Batman movie is this? Is this Michael
2: Keaton
1: with... Um, yeah, this
0: is 89 Batman, Batman, so this is the first one. The first one. Jack so this
1: Jackson, is... Joker.
0: Okay, not with the um, the neon
2: bad guys? The Riddler. <laughs> no, that no, that no. you get to... That's Batman and Robin, right?
0: Yeah, and Batman yes. Forever. Okay. Yeah, Those, those are, are the, the Joel, Tim Burton ones. Those are the Joel Schumacher ones. Oh, so the okay. first two, the 89 Batman and Batman Returns, those are both Tim Burton Batmans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which they're uh, – people love them. Be- even if you're a huge Batman fan, people still love them. I don't know why. I understand because it it builds it builds a lot of things that I do like. Like I love his Batmobile. I love the way that they explore Gotham. I just think that they're, yeah. they're shitty movies. And Tim Burton has even said that like he's not a fan of superheroes or comics, never read them. Um, yeah, that's so. interesting that it, it that he had something to do
2: with it because it's not very Tim Burton esque. Yeah, really. Like, I guess there's aspects of it that are. It's interesting how much the Batman universe has changed compared to you know the Christopher Nolan ones, and even going forth
0: with uh fucking Robert Pattinson. Oh yes, yeah. like, yeah. they're all trying to do the same thing. So every time yeah. one of these Batman uh, properties reemerges. They always say that this is the darkest one. Like, they're all doing the same thing. Like, when 89 Batman came out, because before then you just had the Justice League cartoons and the Super Friends cartoons. So, like, Batman was very bright and colorful, unless you're reading the 80s comics, and then that's when it was really dark. And so, when this Batman movie came out in 89, people are like, What the fuck? Batman's dark, fucking middle of shit, bro. Yeah, that's true. They're just trying to be like,
2: you know, it's not just for babies anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like before, kids would read comics and adults wouldn't. So right. it's just kind of an attempt to expand the market, I guess.
0: Yeah, and was the same thing with the Nolan yeah. Batman's. Be like, oh, it's so grounded and dark, bro. Yeah, yeah,
2: because that was my only problem with the Joker. Is like, I loved the movie, mm-hmm. but I had such a problem with it being associated with Batman because it was like, God damn it, it doesn't have to be Batman. But if it was, if it wasn't associated with Batman it wouldn't get any attention or recognition. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's solely riding on the fact that it has to do with Batman. Yeah. The story did like tie into it a little bit in like little ways that weren't too corny. And like overall I loved the movie. Yeah. Like it was a great movie. But there was part of me that was disappointed. Like the same thing with like The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises and all of those Batman movies. Like they are really good, but like in the end it is still batman it's like a child's toy yeah you know <laughs> or a comic right. or a cartoon which like not knocking that but it's not if it is an attempt to like
0: adultify something yeah. that is for children yeah there's you know? a lot of people that would say that it's it's a huge argument on batman because what you're saying is one side the other side is saying that batman is was never envisioned for children so they like yeah. the original incarnation of batman he was not he was like kind of a bad guy and so he was not envisioned for children and in order to get kids to like him that's when they introduced robin as they're like okay let's give him a sidekick and then we'll uh, get kids to like him and then lo and behold he's really bad with robins and they die quite often um, yeah. So, <laughs> <fuck bro. laughs> um. But yeah. Interesting. Uh, but yeah. For Danny Elfman, this is I would say either the Batman theme, uh, which is I love it because it's it's something that's very nostalgic for me as my childhood. But it's also it's a great example of how to do driving action um, because once you go out of the dun 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 and you get into the driving force of it, yeah. you you really feel like to me I just imagine I just see Batman running like I just I yeah um, probably I don't know I, at this point maybe Nightmare Before Christmas is probably his most well-known pieces of music out there yeah. Um, but
2: yeah that's interesting because I saw somebody while I was listening to this I saw somebody swinging from a rope or something like that <laughs> you know something action oriented <laughs> yeah but, but I kept on hooks. yeah I kept on listening to this and not knowing what it was from. I didn't look at, like, I didn't want to look at the order of it, and I just wanted to hear the songs as they were. Yeah. And every time I looked at my phone, I was like, fuck, this is from Batman? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't see this as being part of Batman. It seemed more Indiana Jones-esque. It seemed like... Exactly. Like That's what's so was composed. great about it. Yeah. yeah. And it made me want to watch fucking Batman. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, it it was. A, it's a cool, cool ass song. Like, yeah. I I loved it. I, I this was one of my favorites on there, um, as far as like getting me engaged. I guess. Yeah. Which is technically what the point of all these songs are: is to get you engaged to like Draw get your you attention. You know, like it's a familiar sound that you hear throughout the movie and whatnot. Like, but this, uh, yeah, this one I kept on being surprised that it was from Batman. RJ, were you familiar with this at all?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up with Batman. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I had all the VHSs. See, Ooh, I forgot yeah. about this
2: franchise, and this might be in the top three above Terminator, actually, is the Batman
1: franchise. Dude, these movies are terrible, but, <laughs> but it, it's nostalgia. The, but they're good. The whole, it, they're good for the time. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um, I was raging with this, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I made my own action scenes. Okay, yeah. what were
0: yours? With your dick? Yeah. No, so <laughs> Did literally. No, so
1: the, the first one, like for the Terminator, I had the popcorn, and then this one, I threw the popcorn at someone's face, hoping for action. <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to so say just, you, you cut a hole in
1: the popcorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I call that my popcorn trick. <laughs> just,
2: but he doesn't understand the idea of it. He's yeah. just walking around with a microwave <laughs> popcorn bag on his dick,
1: not no, no, open. I, no. Either. Yeah, not <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bag and I just cut a hole in it and I walk around and I'm like, oh, I'm out of popcorn again. <laughs>
2: it's not even microwaved yet. <laughs> it's a kernel, it's just kernel. kernels, <laughs>
1: and just butter like just in there. Like, you
2: want block. some popcorn? <laughs> I don't get popcorn. This gotta, is weird.
1: Got to find a microwave and find the right <laughs> button. Yeah, but this was. Uh, I mean, I've heard this before. Uh, it was very nostalgic and yeah. it was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I love this score so much. What's, so I mentioned this earlier. So this movie is actually sets the tone for soundtracks going forward. So if you're – Devin, sounds like you're not super familiar with the movie, but uh, no. Prince did the soundtrack for this movie. What? Yeah, and so so Prince had already been doing his own movies, right? And then Prince made original music for this movie. He even has a music video. With like scenes from the movie and stuff like that from uh, from this movie, and so this is what this is the movie that really sets off going forward of having these big artists do these soundtracks essentially.
2: Oh, yeah. okay. So this is where like Seal came from and Kiss yeah. from Rose exactly that comes and from still, Batman
0: I mean, and Robin. I want to say. All,
2: yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also, like, the music video generation played in big for that, too. Yeah. Like, fucking nobody watched Dangerous Minds, but everybody knows Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Oh, I watched <laughs>
0: Dangerous Minds. I didn't. I listened to Coolio. <laughs> yeah. I, I got
2: the... He summed it up. I,
0: I mean, I get what it's about. <laughs> yeah, that's what, like, when I was a kid, I watched most of those movies, like Menace to Society. Um, yeah, I watched that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, no, I'm thinking of Don't Be a Menace.
1: Yeah, no, nah, I... Yeah. <laughs> totally different. Isn't
0: that the,
1: wait, which one's the ones with the, like, the Wayans Brothers? The Wayans Brothers, Brothers Don't Be a Menace. Menace and South Central yeah. drinking. Drinking your juice in the hood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. I did watch Boys in the Hood, though, which was fucking... Boys in the Hood's great. Legit. Yeah, when I was yeah. a kid, because my older siblings were such into hip-hop and stuff like that, we watched a ton yeah. of those things. Have you Have you seen American Me? American Me? No. That's with um, uh, American Pie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fuck's the pie. I've seen that. Uh, that's it's what, like a popcorn p- shirt. Is, is that I what he does that pie? <laughs> Why can't I think of his name? Uh, almost.
1: Um, Blink-182 is almost 100. But. Tupac.
0: <laughs> 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 now, American Me, it's it's about this uh, Hispanic guy who goes to prison and he when he's really young. And then he gets out of prison eventually when he's older. And uh, he ends up just going back. It's it's a really good movie. Uh, huh. James a- Edwards almost, that's, that's, that's who's in it. Edward James almost. Yes, there yeah. we go. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like La Bamba goes into that category as well as uh, Stand and Deliver, stuff like that. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen Do the Right Thing either, which I know is a different but they, category, but yeah, kind of the same. Yeah,
1: still good. Did anybody else want to roll down their windows while listening to the song and just stick your head out? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I wanted to be on a motorcycle. Oh, that <laughs> would okay. be better. Dun, 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 <laughs> just
1: weaving in and out of traffic. Yeah, yeah.
2: At <laughs> night,
0: definitely <laughs> at night. This is a night driving song. Yeah, <laughs> like, summer night, windows down for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So moving on from the Batman, we've got the Untouchables by Ennio Morricone. Uh, Ennio, uh, he passed away this past year. Pretty sad, but he's one of the old. Yeah, one of the most prolific composers ever uh oh so he has over 400 scores Ooh. yeah as well as more than 100 classical works uh, morricone is widely considered one of the most prolific and greatest film composers of all time um but probably most known for his uh argento stuff um and you know working on the uh um the good the bad the ugly fistful of dollars all that kind of stuff the spaghetti yeah. westerns with clint eastwood um, but yeah, he also did the score for the thing from John Carpenter's movie. It's one of the few John Carpenter movies that he didn't do the score himself. Um, the Mission is a really good movie. Uh, he also did most recently. He's worked with Quentin quite a bit, um, Tarantino. Uh, the Hateful Eight. I love that movie. I love the score. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the guys who first made a theme with The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, with the doo do doo doo do that little like whistle. is it's 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 a theme for the characters and you'll see it pop in and out uh, correctly Uh. Um, and that was made way back in the 60s Uh.
3: 66
0: i think Um, so the untouchables it's a brian de palma movie made 1987 Uh, brian de palma super interesting because by this time he had made carrie and scarface two of the biggest movies of the 70s and 80s he also had a lot of smaller movies that no one's ever seen before um, he's just kind of a weird filmmaker, but he's part of that uh, first new school of filmmakers. The, the Francis Ford Copplas, the George Lucases, the Steven Spielbergs, the Brian De Palmas. Um, but The Untouchables uh, made in 87. Andy Garcia, Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, Sean Connery. Uh, great movie. Yeah. Love this movie so much. So much. Yeah. Um, very successful at the time. Uh, Morricone's score for The Untouchables resulted in his third nomination for an Academy Award. Uh, In 2001 in an interview, uh, De Palma said, uh, uh, Morricone said about his experiences with De Palma, he said, De Palma is delicious. He respects music. He respects composers. For The Untouchables, everything I proposed to him was fine, but then he wanted a piece that I didn't like at all. And of course, we didn't have an an agreement on that. It was something I didn't want to write. A triumphal piece for the police. I think I wrote nine different pieces for this in total, and I said, Please don't choose the seventh because it was the worst. And guess what? He chose the seventh, but it really suits the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, you watch that now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Enio Morcone. He's just, uh, I mean, this is just a one of the biggest filmmakers of all time, paired with one of the biggest composers of all time, making a great movie. Uh, RJ, have you seen The Untouchables? I have, don't think I have. Uh, I think you'd like it. I think you think it's, yeah,
2: good. it's good. You would. It's your style. It's that era that's really fascinating. Like, I don't remember who directed it, but it, uh, is it Brian De Palma?
0: That made The Untouchables?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like it could
0: be like a Spielberg movie. You know, just in... On in the tone of it, I guess a little, yeah. I would say it's similar to it's. It's weird when they do this. So, so Chinatown is another great example. In the seventies, they wanted to do Roman Polanski wanted to do like a, a an older noir film, but set in the seventies, yeah. right? Yeah. And so De Palma wanted to do the same thing in the eighties, where it's like, I want to do like an older crime movie, but make it more up to date. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, and he pulled it off. Yeah, I think. it's great. Like there's nothing
2: corny about it. No. I mean, maybe there was at the time and it's just but it it held up. Well, I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah. So I think you'd like it, RJ. It's I feel like it's in that same wheelhouse of those Spielberg movies. It's like
0: consumable in the same way that those are. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I would you're you're probably right that if I told someone that Like, if I told RJ, like, the same guy that made Scarface made The Untouchables, they'd be like, what? (laughs) Yes. Because they don't seem like the same filmmaker. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you told me it
2: was the guy that did Indiana Jones, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Totally (laughs) seems like (laughs) it. Yeah. This is a dark movie by the guy that did Indiana Jones. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They have a lot of big actors in there.
2: Yeah. 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 Fucking love Costner. I love Costner. And all when they're really young, too. Yeah. Except for Costner. Or not Costner, but uh, Connery. Yeah. He's always old. Right. <laughs> Even when he was James Bond, he was old as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, dead. He died. He did now. <laughs> yeah.
0: He hits women, so it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I wanted to choose. I, I wanted to make sure that Ennio Morricone was on this. Because yeah. he's such a prolific f- composer. Um, even though in the eighties he's not th- that well known for his the scores that he was doing, other than maybe this movie in The Mission, um, but I like this movie. I like the score a lot because it brings something that older scores used to do that none of these scores do. If that makes sense, like yeah. if if I told you that this score came from a nineteen fifties mu- movie um yes. it would i would believe it because yes. it it sounds like full orchestra um and it sounds like a big piece that would be in an older movie
2: it's the difference between big band jazz and uh bop jazz oh yeah like it's that that small change where it's like like uh chinatown is an example uh, is what i was thinking of when i heard this yeah it's generic but not like right. it's specific to the movie but in passing you just be like this is uh orchestra music mm-hmm. you know really good yeah. orchestra music
0: yeah and they use he uses this theme that's in there uh for kind of the the gang the good guy gang uh kind yeah of getting together um RJ what do you think of the song so
1: i like not seeing the movie uh kind of just listened to it and i didn't really know the concept of what the movie is and i was like what do i feel about this interesting and i was like i feel something that's being positive yeah literally the first thing i imagined was like something from free willy i'm like <laughs> this is the scene when he's jumping over and i'm like oh, that, there's the climax <laughs> yeah. and i was like something where like you know they're having a motivational speech where it's like come on boys we will score this touchdown we will win yeah and i was like that's what i it's like a motivational speech
0: yeah, which is right, because the movie's about it's the good guys getting the bad guys. I mean, it's about Al Capone, and yeah. it's 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 this very prominent to any time that the good guys are, like, winning, you'll see mm-hmm. the score pop up. I think this is—I saw this when I was really
2: young, and I think this is the first time I ever heard about Prohibition. Oh, yeah. I think this is a big theme in the movie, from what I remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did say that mm-hmm. on the Wikipedia. Yeah. That's yeah, it's really good. Capone made all his money. No way, yeah. (laughs) Justice during Prohibition. That sounds like Batman. Yeah, they were like the... uh, Yeah,
2: it was like the Batman of Prohibition, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it was the FBI
0: or CIA that they were working for. FBI. Bruce Wayne. FBI. Yeah, I think that FBI was made basically right before Prohibition, I want to say. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. But yeah, basically it's just FBI guys, a team of
2: them going around fucking up all these rum runners yeah moonshiners and then taking them down from the top it's just you know the government fucking up drug dealers
1: basically
2: (laughs) yeah basically but yeah set in a really interesting time period done really well costume wise and tonally
0: like everything looked great sounded great there's a very famous scene from this movie rj which has to do with uh a train station and a uh, yeah. a shootout that's about to happen and a lady that's pushing a baby down some stairs and then the shootout happens as the baby's coming down the stairs in this uh, little uh cart. Uh, it's very like famous just cinematically. But yeah. have you guys did you guys ever watch Boardwalk Empire? Mm-mm. I started it and never finished it. Yeah, this it, that's basically The Untouchables mm-hmm. well but told from the Al Capone's perspective, yeah, the rum runner yeah. side. Yeah. Which Al Capone's in that show? Is he? Yeah. Is it Stu Fushimi? No. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a. He shows up in the first episode. I want to say um, he's. I forget what that actor's name is, but you'd rec- I think you might recognize him if you saw him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, moving on from the Untouchables, we've got Tears in Rain by Vangelis. Uh I'm not gonna try to pronounce well. Evangelus Odysseus Papathanasisio, he's Greek. Sounds (laughs) right. He's he's Greek. Uh, Yeah, Evangelus is very prominent in the '80s, and that's about it. He's like known as the synth guy uh, way more than John Carpenter is because he's able to push the synth in a different way than Carpenter was doing. Carpenter was really good at like using these like driving themes where Vangelis was basically kind of the first guy that defined a type of score that is still used today, which just kind of like space of, like there's music happening, but there's a lot of space happening as well. Yeah. Um, I would say that Johnny Greenwood does something very similar in his film scores. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Vangelis, uh, his his big two are probably Chariots of Fire and Blade Runner, uh, blade runner was made in 82 ridley scott movie great movie um it has received acclaim as among Vangelis' best work and influential work in the history of electronic music it was nominated in 1983 for bafta and golden globe for best original score the score evokes the film's bleak futurism and an emotive synthesizer based sound uh drawing on the jazz scores of classic film noir as well as neoclassical elements and Middle Eastern textures. It features vocals from Demis Roussos and saxophone by Dick Morrissey on Love Theme. Uh, the track Memories of Green from Vangelis' 1980 album, See You Later, was also used. Uh, the official release of the soundtrack was delayed for over a decade. Uh, the first 1994 release omitted much of the film's scores and included compositions not used in the film. A 25th Anniversary Edition released in 2007 included further unreleased material and a disc of new music inspired by the film. Various bootleg recordings containing more comprehensive versions of the score, as well as a superior sound quality to the original 1994 release, have widely circulated. The orchestral rendition of the score, uh, the soundtrack, was released in 1982 by the New American Orchestra, so same year as the movie, but is disavowed by both Vangelis and Ridley Scott.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um so have you have you guys seen Blade Runner? No, no, I have not. It's it's really you you both of you guys would enjoy it. It's really I've really good. Part, one of my part of it, coworkers like, is that.
1: like watched it probably every night. <laughs> he's yeah. like this is the best <laughs> really? movie in the world yet. Remember, Riley? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, seems yeah. like a Riley. Yeah, movie. yeah, he's just like I watched it. You should watch it. And I was like, I will <laughs> one day.
0: If and when you guys do watch it, it's really nice putting into perspective that that movie came out in 1982 because they do stuff with how they show the city and the world where you're just like, how the fuck did they do this in 1982? It's pretty yeah. insane with the way that they use miniatures and paintings. Um, that And it also builds like, uh, basically the the idea of tech noir and that look is all built from this movie? Well, it's based on a
2: book by Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah, when andro- do androids Android dream of stream. electric sheep? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think was written way back in the day. Yeah, like sixties, maybe, maybe even later, because he wrote uh, the Man in the High Castle, right? Which was about like the Nazis and the Japanese winning after World War Two, and yeah. like what the world would be like. So he was writing these dystopian future novels. And I haven't read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, but I've heard that it's a great book. But yeah, it kind of sets, sets the tone. Oh, 68 is when yeah. I wrote it? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of sets the tone for that, which is insane to think of in 68. Yeah. Like these sci fi the writers. Foresight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like obviously George Orwell writing in 1984 in
0: 1938,
2: I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, fucking crazy. But. 1968 to write something like this like i i un, i know the the idea of blade runner and i've seen most of the newer one also, 2049 so kinda, yeah Twenty forty
0: 2049 is awesome i love that movie
2: yeah yeah but just something coming from 1968 about like yeah these like technological developments yeah and like building an entire world out of nothing like i can't think of an example of something that we could do in this time like some director could do in this time
0: yeah building on our future and us seeing it as believable you know right well it's it's interesting because so the the terminator i forgot what short story it's from but it has a lawsuit behind the terminator that they settled out of court um because uh, james cameron but it's speculated to have taken the concept of the Terminator from the short story. I forget what the story is called, but it was written years before the Terminator, right? Yeah. And then you've got Batman, which is a character that was made in like the 40s. And then you've got um, The Intouchables, which is about Prohibition, yeah. right? And then you've got Blade Runner, which is based off of a story that was made in the 60s. And then you've got even the last piece, which is also got into... Um, I w- it, it was made before, but it also has a lawsuit behind it about being uh, either stolen or inspired <laughs> by another piece that was. Older. Who is Cameron of Spielberg stealing? From? <laughs> fucking thieves. Yeah. But it's interesting, uh, all of these things are like, they're based off material that's older. Hmm. Like, they're not technically yeah. new ideas.
2: Yes. And that's the interesting thing about directors in general that yeah. makes them more fascinating because. You see, like, you see a movie and you assume that, oh, they wrote this movie, right? Yeah. They (laughs) did everything. This is their movie. It's like, no, they found a story that they like and they directed all of these people to make the story that they saw in their head. Yeah. But they took the story structure the bones of it from somebody else i can't say
1: like produced or directed by it's inspired by yeah (laughs) for everything
0: oh it's It's just fascinating yeah it's just how like people who don't understand how art is made it's like no one just makes random shit like everything is based off of someone else like you're you're not the first person to do anything and you're most likely not original uh it's most likely you're making something based off of something else. It may be better than that thing, I don't know, but there are certain standouts
2: that kind of like uh, go so far from the norm. Yeah. Like uh Jean-Michel Jean-Michel Basquiat in the 70s and 80s is an example of that because people never saw stuff like that as art. Like yeah. Andy Warhol was doing his shit where he was like, you know, protesting the idea of art basically. Yeah. But Basquiat was going a little bit further with it. And it's not, like... You know, it's not, like, beautiful artwork or anything. It's, like... It's the origins of graffiti. Yeah. But it's still art when you break it down. And, like, pushing the boundaries of things is... I always find that interesting to kind of, like, at least think about, even if it's not successful. Yeah. You know? So... But even then, it's, like... uh, is Bosco out just doing what Van Gogh did,
0: probably. You know, yeah. I mean, so that's,
2: he's just taking it to a new level. So right. he's not an original.
0: No, and yeah. if you anyone who's great at art, it's very, it's very, very rare that they don't have a foundation of understanding the people who came before them. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very rare that someone is able to create something with not understanding the technique or the people behind doing the thing before them yeah, like exactly. most everyone else under mm-hmm. who's like if you're a high-end artist it's most likely you just studied the people who were great before you you yeah. kind of threw it in a blender made your own thing of it and then now you're great you know yeah yeah, yeah. what's interesting about blade runner though is blade runner it, it, the look and feel of the movie it's kind of the the chicken or the egg type scenario um I'll, there's a l- heavy amount of anime that is Looks and feels like Blade Runner, like a lot, Ooh. and so it's it's always like, well, was Blade Runner inspired by these animes that were like around at the same time, or did they yeah. were like just like tapping into the same thing, and then like anime just like loved it afterwards? Because you wouldn't get there's like Ghost in the Shell after Blade Runner, you wouldn't get Ghost in the Shell if if not for Blade Runner, and you wouldn't get yeah. The Matrix if not for Ghost in the Shell. So it's just it's weird. When how was Akira? Is that before or after? That's after that's eighty. Well, Does that have I mean, nothing to do with it. No, well, the manga came out in the early eighties because the movie didn't come out. I don't think until like eighty-seven, maybe. Okay, yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, I mean, nobody
2: would know if Americans stole from manga.
0: Yeah, the yeah, you know. the Akira manga came out in nineteen eighty-two, so the same year that Blade wow. Runner came out. Oh, okay, and they look and feel very similar interesting which a lot of those there's this old movie called Metropolis um, yeah that's like the first real science fiction movie like there was like some sci-fi before that but a lot of like the look and feel from anime and even what you see in Blade Runner is kind of built from the foundation of that movie that's where Lady Gaga got her name from yeah yeah Metropolis Um, yeah how'd you guys feel towards Tears and Rain from Vangelis I've seen it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the vocals were interesting because yeah. it
2: it took me out of it in a sense. Yeah, because I was just listening to film scores. Um, but then when it you know kind of gets into it, I'm like, yeah, this is this is nice. Yeah. It, but it's it is to me. The most standout song on this
0: mixtape, as far as being different from all the other ones, yeah, I had to put it for me. I had to put it at four because it completely stops. Like when I'm listening to mm-hmm. this for me, it completely stops any momentum. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, I need to have it later because it's it it stops and then it pulls you in slowly, where it's just like, hey, yeah, wait, what's what's that in the background?
2: Yeah. Oh. That, okay, that's interesting. I'm curious to hear, uh, to tell you my idea about reordering it based on my perspective. Because you know a lot about movies, and you're familiar with these. Yeah. I think me and RJ not being familiar with these might have
0: a different idea. Mm. RJ, how would you feel towards the song? Uh,
1: from especially the first two, which was I was just raging. And then I hit number three, and I was like, all right, I'm being optimistic and raging. But I hit four, <laughs> and I'm like, "Um, ah, that died down quickly. <laughs> um, it was different. I was like Blade Runner. is not that like a fast-paced like action movie. Not at all. And I was like, <laughs> I, was like ah, I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know where this is going. Just run out of blades. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe it's an ice skating movie. I don't remember. Maybe they fucked. <laughs> Maybe it was like a, what is that? Isn't that a, Will Forte, Will Ferrell movie? Yeah. What, what is that? Uh, ice King, Will, blades of glory. Blades of uh, glory. No, no, no. Um, Rollerball. The, the, You're thinking of Game Roller of Thrones, Ball. the Ice King. <laughs> they just had ice swords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know where this is going. So no. I was like, all right. Ice blade sword runner. <laughs> blade Winter's Runner coming. is a,
0: a very slow detective noir that just happens to be in the future. That's all it is. Okay. It's yeah. the so same. I was- same concept as like Chinatown. It's chi- like, you
2: watched part of Chinatown the other night, right? I saw part of that. It's yeah. that in twenty forty five. Yeah, it's just more interesting yeah. to look at. And they have lasers.
1: So I literally pictured it as being like you could probably put the Batman theme song on here, and I'd be like, "Fuck yeah, I'm getting into a cool action movie," <laughs> which that now makes sense in what Blade Runner is. But I was just like, okay, it did slow it down a little bit. I was like, I feel like this is a, I don't know, it had slowed down a lot for me. Yeah. So I don't know if it is kind of like the view of what I had that for the movie. Uh, yet again, like you said, it needed to be later on because otherwise, if you put this in the middle between Terminator and <laughs> Batman, I would have been like, oh, I'm not that throwing things.
0: Well, and I didn't um, want it at the end because I didn't want RJ to go sleepy. No. I wanted, I wanted. Yeah, you would have lost. I wanted like RJ flying at the first end. first <laughs> like minute
1: into it. I've been like, hey, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it works here. Um, but I, I was just kind of weirded out by what the movie actually was, so I mean, my lack of knowledge going into it. But it, it works. Uh, literally, I put in my notes of like something where somebody's like, it's a calming sequence where they can talk and say something, just like it's like background music.
2: Oh, interesting. Did you okay, Orji? Did you go into this looking at each of the movies and putting it in the context, each song in the context of that movie, or did you just listen to it? Not knowing what they're from.
1: Well, I mean, no. I, I I looked at it, so I was like, Terminator, know what I'm getting into. Batman, mm-hmm. know what I'm getting into. Untouchables, don't know what that is. Okay. Uh, Blade Runner, action movie. And then E.T., I'm like, ah, oh, space
0: shit. So... <laughs> Space. But no, no, I, I knew it doesn't did, take so. place in space at all. <laughs> I
2: know, not
0: at all. They show yeah. the moon. <laughs> shit. It's Earth shit.
2: Earth shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would categorize all five of these movies
1: as wait, Earth shit, wait, actually. Wait, hold on, hold yeah. on. You should have called it that Earth shit. Earth shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But Earth is in space. Space shit. Okay, don't fucking go there. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, is you space? Think you think you're the only planet out there? <laughs> okay.
2: Earth is flat and space <laughs> yeah. is fake. Don't we know this?
1: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Bone Home.
2: Okay, so that's interesting that you were thinking about it in the context of each of the movies mm-hmm. and not a playlist as a whole.
1: Yeah. If you just put a push play, I would have been like, "Cool, raging, cool, raging, cool." Okay, optimistic raging, and then this one, I was like, "Oh, you're slowed down." Okay. Yeah. I, I literally thought after this one, I was like, "All right, this is ninety-nine
0: music." After this, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So moving on from Blade Runner, we've got Flying from E.T., uh, made by the man, the myth, the legend, John Williams. He's, in my opinion, the most prolific person to ever touch music ever. Um, he is the has the second amount of Academy Award nominations next to Walt Disney. Huh. The he, Nazi Walt Disney. <laughs> he has. He's like literally. He is the guy that has spanneded from Jaws up until the last Star Wars movies. I mean, he's touched every piece, almost every large franchise that the world loves. Not just America. Yeah. Like, we've got Jurassic Park. We've got Harry Potter. We've got the fucking Hook movie. We've got fucking E.T. Oh, he does HP? Yeah. He's a pothead? Yeah, he did the, I want to say the first two or three movies of Harry Potter. Mm. And then someone else came in after that. But he made, like, the Hedwig's thing, theme, the do-do-do-do-do-do. He made that theme.
2: I was going to say, we've been watching, like, some of the movies lately, and I was going to compliment the score on those. Yeah. As, like, you know, the, the movies are made for kids, but, like, the score of it is so – it really grounds the movie. Yeah. I
0: I appreciated that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Johnny Makes Williams, sense. he's the guy. He's made so many Ooh, scores John boy. for, I mean, he's worked primarily with Spielberg on most of his stuff. Um, I could have picked a Star Wars movie, but I wanted to pick E.T. because I think E.T. is a good movie. I think it's, but I also wanted, um, I believe, uh, so. You wanted one Drew more movie. Right. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> no, so like, no, I guess it doesn't quite count. It's the only one that's, like, I don't know. It's it's the only one that's just, like, a straight-up kids movie out of these. Like, even the yeah. Batman movie is not quite for kids because it's like, we're going to be dark. Yeah. Uh, but, like, E.T. is just, like, it's a straight-up kids movie. And the main theme in here for flying, I just I love it so much. Even though I could have picked, like, Return of the Jedi. I could have picked... Um, Empire of the Sun, like he has some other stuff in the 80s that's good. Um, there's another movie that I battled with having on here. Um, I needed John Williams on here, and I was picking um, another movie from John Williams because I had a different piece of music on this mix. I had Alan Silvestri's uh theme for Back to the Future. Um, oh, no. which that theme and this theme are very similar with their energies. So I decided to pick this one. Um, So, But yeah, E.T. came out in 1982, uh, made by Steven Spielberg. Uh, The concept was based on an imaginary friend Spielberg created after his parents' divorce in 1980. Spielberg met Matheson and developed a new story for the failed project Night Skies. Uh, Filming took place in December 1981 on a budget of $10 million. Um, It made a lot of money. Um, Yeah, yeah, are you guys... uh, I'm assuming you guys have all seen E.T., right? I have. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, space shit. I don't remember it too much, but I, I mean, I, I saw it as a kid. And I it's one of those movies that's like so pop culturally uh, popular that I know the idea of it. Yeah. You know? Right. Like Wizard of Oz, I've never seen. I know everything about Wizard of Oz at this point, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah, Williams, he made the theme music for the 1984 Summer Olympic Games and NBC's Sunday Night Football, the mission theme. So hmm. He's just everywhere, man. Wait, did he do, are you ready for some <laughs> football? <laughs> or was I it think, Hank Williams? I think he yeah, did. Like Hank Williams. I, I want to say it's the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Oh, wow. I want to say it's that, maybe. dun dun Um. (laughs) that that would make sense
1: yeah wow
0: (laughs) that's popular i know that one yeah okay uh so rj did this uh put in the song at the end leave you on a high note uh yeah
1: yeah yeah okay (laughs) no 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 that sounds bad but literally going into this so i first looked at it when you first showed us and then I kind of just listened through it. and I was like, oh, Terminator, cool. Oh, cool, Batman, cool. Don't remember what this is, I'll look. And then I went to the next song, don't remember what this is, I'll look. And I started playing this one. And I'm like, oh, I, I can name this one. I got this one. <laughs> so I was going through, and I'm like, okay, the funniest thing, I was like, Jurassic Park? I know this is not Jurassic Park, but it <gasps> yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I sense Harry Potter, too. This is weird. It's not Harry Potter. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Then doing my research, I was like, oh, this motherfucker did all those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I kind of, I, I got happy. I was like, that's the coolest thing in the world. I was I like, know. he he has that much influence on everything. And I was like, that's a cool literally. final mode of at the end of this. I was like, yeah. that's cool.
0: I like that. I mean, if he had Howard Shore, which I fucking love the Lord of the Rings scores, Howard Shore made those. If he had <laughs> done those, he would have touched like literally everything because he did the Superman theme. The bum, 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 bum. bum, bum iconic. bum, bum. You know, like fucking did everything crazy
1: but it was wonderful i was like that that's I, I i love how this is at the end and i got so nostalgic about all of those i'm like this sounds like that it sounds like that yeah. it sounds like that
0: yeah Devin.
2: yeah i it, it's i didn't know what it was from uh not looking at the playlist like i looked at it initially but i was just kind of zoning out and i was like fuck this sounds familiar and every time i listened to it i'm like it sounds familiar to something and i tried to place it and i was like i don't even want to place it anymore because it's just it's that feeling of nostalgia that i get while listening to it where i don't care what it's from yeah but i just i feel it and it feels good yeah you know <laughs> like everything that john williams has done really that i've heard it would probably give
0: me the same feeling
2: yeah it feels good to listen to
0: yeah. yeah yeah he's able to capture something that i don't know how he does it i don't know I I really don't know how he does it because he he just almost everything that he touches is a hit, um, and he gets nominated for Academy Award almost every movie he does. I think for Close Encounters, and he was up against himself for Close Encounters and Star Wars. I I want to say Close Encounters won that year. For really? Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. A, he's. Insane. I don't think that's ever happened in the history
2: of the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio versus Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. Basically, and yeah. Still,
0: he loses to Jamie Foxx. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is pretty interesting about this movie. Another reason why I wanted to include it. So as with their previous collaborations, uh, Spielberg liked everything Williams composed, and had it included. Spielberg loved the music for the final chase scene so much that he edited the sequence to suit it. So he already had made the movie. Spielberg, or then uh, John Williams makes the pieces of music for it. And then Spielberg is like, I got to re edit it. <laughs> yeah. That's how good, how much he loved the music. Uh. And then Williams took a modernist approach, especially with his use of polytonality, polytoni- which refers to the sound of two different keys played simultaneously. Uh, The Lindian mode can also be used in a polytonial way. Williams combined polytoniality with the Lindian mode to express mystic, dreamlike, and heroic quality. This is what I was talking about with synths, polytones. His theme emphasized coloristic instruments, such as a harp, piano, uh, a celeste, or a celeste. He uses that a ton. That's like uh, in the Harry Potter, the Hedwig's theme, and and Ray's theme in the newer Star Wars movies. Mm. Uh, and other keywords, keyboards as well as percussions suggest E.T.'s childlike nature and his machine so yeah mm. I'm, I'm, I'd am i like E.T. as a movie I don't think it's, I think to me it's the worst movie on this list um, but that's not saying much because there's a lot of good movies on this list um, but yeah um, a worst
2: movie on this list yeah. so we got Untouchables Terminator, Blade Runner
0: 89 Batman
2: well, it's close with Batman. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting.
2: I want to go back and watch all these movies now. Yeah. I haven't seen them for a long time. So
0: Yeah, that's My why opinions. it's 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 interesting for me making this list compared to like if you guys are listening to it. Because I just every time I hear each one of these, I just see the movie. So I don't like how you're kind of asking RJ, like I don't look at this as like This is a mixtape of these songs that have to work together. I just see movies that I like with themes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what do you guys think as a whole? RJ? What do you think of the
2: whole?
1: (laughs) How you like the whole? So, as far as everything, I mean, it it makes sense. I I like the the theme and the name of it. It's kind of like, you know, (laughs) it's a theme in the 80s. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: (laughs) Different scores. I do appreciate, especially the first two, because I saw them and I was like, oh, that's awesome. I think I would have liked them that much better if I've seen all the films and, like, you know, were, we're, like, aware of what's what. Uh, I love E.T. at the end. That was fantastic, just kind of bringing all that back. And... I think overall it was a very good mix. I was happy with it. Do you want to rate them right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The only issues that I would say there are issues is just because my lack there of knowledge of you have 3 of the untouchables just didn't know what was going on versus me just I just wanted to rage the whole the way just because <laughs> you had the first two. So I was like, "Eh, that's fine. I do appreciate for what it is." And then the Blade Runner where I think I thought I was going to be raging. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, honestly, it's still—I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was still fun. Rage notions. Just yeah. the concept <laughs> of what it was. There was consent. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, I gave you a four point oh nine.
0: Oh, okay. Ooh. Spicy. <laughs> so close to a four point one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's one of those car dealer types. <laughs> like,
2: he doesn't want to let you know the actual score. <laughs> Might be turned away, but yeah, it.
1: I got it for a 2.9, so <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, nice, but I gotta Peaked sell my it up. interest 4.09.
2: <laughs> 4.10 is way over my price range, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I it's interesting you uh, you put it that way, RJ, because seeing these as a playlist as a whole was different than like breaking it down movie by movie, <laughs> um because I wasn't familiar with the movies themselves. like I have seen them, and I kind of like got some nostalgia from listening to some of the songs, but I wasn't super familiar with them. Mm-hmm. And then when you were saying that you could have put the Back to the Future song in here, right. the Alex Silvestri song, that that got me thinking that in place of the Blade Runner song, I think that would have fit perfectly. That would have kept the flow going for me, like, tonally.
0: Um, Yeah. Because, need Terminators. Go ahead. I just, in order, because I picked it from the 80s, I needed Blade Runner on there. Yeah. Because Vangelis is, like, he's just... it's the it's one of the most prominent scores ever made let alone from the 80s and i wanted to have a good representation of synth
2: yeah yeah see i think this is where you like you got into like what i do with my mixtape sometimes where it's like you'll have like i'll have four songs that are like yeah these songs like these songs make sense and then one (laughs) song it's like i just fucking love this song (laughs) and it's gotta be on here and i get it like and on its own, like, uh, the the Blade Runner song is a great song, but that one in general took me out of it, especially starting with the Terminator one, which is arguably the darkest one, and then going into the more mainstream, uh, like, listenable um, orchestral scores. Yeah. I was expecting more of that throughout. I was, yeah. as, I was expecting that to build, and then it kind of dropped off at number four, and then pick back
0: up with et but with that i wonder if that's also the case of like the songs by the time you get to the end of like the first three songs for me by the time i get to the end of each song i'm like fuck that happened so fast yeah
2: yeah especially terminator i think that that one's a short one isn't it yeah not very long at all
0: and then the batman one is kind of longer yeah, it's like two minutes and something seconds, but it's not long. It's really? not a long song. Yeah,
2: it felt like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it felt like a whole like episode of something happened. I'm yeah, like, Damn. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the only the only thing that I had with it the, with the Blade Runner song. Um, I was initially thinking like maybe moving the Blade Runner song to even like number one, hmm. and easing into it. Yeah, and then having the more palatable ones towards the end
0: would work for me. But I think I was worried that. I needed to bury it to ensure that RJ liked it. <laughs> <laughs> See, you did all right. That makes sense too, because
2: if even if I heard it at number one, I'd be like, "Oh, Blade Runner as a score? Like that's not really
0: like a standout score." Like- all right, so the Terminator is te- it's two seconds longer than the Batman theme. What? <laughs> that's <laughs> stupid. That it's doesn't make sense. Two minutes and forty seconds. Two minutes and thirty-eight seconds. 3 minutes and 5 seconds. And then when you get the Blade Runner, that song's only 3 minutes long. Okay. During the Terminator song,
2: all I saw was some like pieces of metal rolling around in a junkyard. During the second one, it was fucking Drake's uncharted Drake's Fortune uncharted just fucking an adventure the whole yeah. time. Like a whole adventure happened. E.T. is the
0: longest song. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's wow. why it's 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 weird because like yeah. I I understand because when you listen to those first three songs they go by so quickly that yeah. when you get to Blade Runner it just stops it but it's not a very long song no it's just because those songs have so much drive and momentum behind them yeah that it's just they're so consistent you know it's it's
2: really just the power of not having verse chorus first chorus bridge chorus
0: yeah exactly you know <laughs> it's
2: taking away the song structure really changes your perception of the song yeah that's true that's interesting
1: yeah honestly because of that uh you're taking away from the true like you know way they organize a true song like a punk pop song yeah um so you know you get a 4.07 wait, wait i lost you, points you yeah. lost points because it's not a true <laughs> punk song Wait, oh, like you were Blink 182 made it. It would be <laughs> very <close>. so. This <laughs> got
2: less Blink. This got for so being a more of interesting blink, of songwriting. <laughs> so RJ, I gotta ask you a question. On a scale of Blink zero to Blink 182,
0: what is the score? <laughs> this is just this is eyes closed. This is like a Blink 164. No, we find out that RJ scoring this whole time has just been on a Blink 182. <laughs> Comparison yeah. chart. <laughs> How close is
1: this to all the small things? No, no. We just literally do blink like bands, so it's like you know. What, I this is definitely a boxcar racer. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say like a weird band comes up here, like Angel and Airwaves. Definitely plus forty-four. <laughs> so I get it. All right, um, but yeah, my score three point eight out of five. Nice. No weird numbers, just three. out a point five.
1: <laughs> I'm doing it out of ten. You were doing out of ten? Yeah. Damn, you're being offensive <laughs> this whole time. Yeah.
2: But yeah, three point eight. Um hearing so if if that Back to the Future one was in here, and I understand why you can't put it in here because the Blade Runner one does have to be in here. Uh if the Back to the Future one was in here, uh, it would be more listenable compared to the other songs. Yeah. And it would flow really well. And I feel like that would be like a 4.3 because it got me really, it it really interested in listening to scores and it got me thinking about scores and thinking about music in general. I um, I honestly think if you watch Blade Runner, you would change your mind. That's what I think too. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was my other point is all of these songs i'm det besides uh besides et i'm detached from yeah, the movie right so i have no attachment to it so listen to these songs just purely as songs uh, like they it, they do fit in theme but yeah. in, not in tone so four was really the one that took it out of it yeah. um that was just like a definite, like oh this doesn't fit with it
0: but that's funny cuz say that
2: I want to hear more of four. Yeah.
0: You know, there's scores that I've listened to before that I haven't seen the movie that I just like the scores. So I put mine on autoplay after this and I started listening
2: to some other ones um, from movies that I like have heard of and uh, would never watch. Yeah. And I was surprised at how good the music was from it. (laughs) But then I looked at the artist and it was, uh, you know, a notable artist just doing the score for like some shitty tom hanks movie
0: oh yeah hey bro forrest gump is a great score okay sorry forrest gump is a fantastic score all right all right (laughs) you know what that is with like the
2: isn't there like a feather like floating on his foot and like they have music playing through that like when he's sitting in the bus stop yeah okay
0: (laughs) i don't know why i'm just remembering that part yeah, that's that's Alan Silvestri. That's the same dude who did Back to the Future.
2: Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it has got me thinking about scores, though. Um, I tried working out to this.
0: Totally impossible. Yeah. It will not work. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, uh, Alan but- Silvestri is pretty interesting because there's other movies that I wanted to put on here that I personally would have put on here more. Okay. Yeah, so, like, Alan Silvestri did Predator, and I there's some... <sighs> The Predator score is fantastic, but I had a clear definition of using the word theme, and each one, each five of these movies has a clear theme in it that is used for characters and used throughout the movie. And so, like I would have picked, uh, like John Carpenter's thing, Ennio Morricone is one of his songs from the thing because I love that score so much. But none of those mean anything. Yeah. whereas all of these including the Blade Runner even though that's it's a very subtle theme that he has each one of these themes is like defined not it's defined in the movie but it's also like they define film franchises and then today when composers look at doing new films and building new themes they look at movies like this and being like okay can we do this that yeah yeah
2: hmm so this made me listen to after I couldn't work out to this I listened to uh john carpenter's newest album oh the yeah. redux themes three or something so good i could work out to that shit oh yeah all day long <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it got me it got me curious about themes though yeah. so i was like really excited about that so i'm like looking into this more i just let it autoplay for a while yeah
0: i'm telling you there's a uh, uh i love so howard shore he did the lord of the rings and uh I've been rewatching. I just rewatched all three of the Hobbits this past week. Man, I, I I just love Lord of the Rings. I love all three of those Hobbit movies. They're fucking great. People don't like them, but I love them. I saw the first one, and yeah. I saw the first <laughs> Lord of the Rings, and that's it. Yeah, I I I just like the Lord of the Rings franchise. I like that world a lot. So I, it doesn't yeah. matter what the movies are. But like, dude, there there's a a large Lord of the Rings playlist on Spotify that I've been listening to it almost every morning for the last like month now, because the, the the, the scores for those movies are so goddamn good. They're so fucking yeah. good. That's so that's a good example of what it's,
2: what the whole mixtape itself made me do is like, I want to analyze this in movies from now on. Yeah. Like, It's another element to movies for me to take a look at instead of just like watching the movie and like, you know, hearing hearing the dialogue and whatnot. It's like, why am I feeling this way? Is it because of the music, you know? I feel like RJ, you would like Lord of the Rings and you haven't watched them, right?
1: I've seen the first one, but I kind of was like, I think a barbecuing. Yeah, I the watch the first. I'm I'm telling you, you I love
2: Zelda. Like, RJ loves Zelda. Yeah. Like, I feel like he would love Lord of the Rings. I'm telling you, you guys just
0: sit down. The three Lord of the Rings and the three Hobbits are all on HBO Max. Just start That's with Fellowship. So, it's even so though long, even so though the long. Hobbit movies, mushrooms. it won't. It won't <laughs> <laughs> even though the Hobbit, Hobbit movies take place before the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, just start, with Fellowship, cool. start with Fellowship. Start with Fellowship. Start with that movie. Hobbit it's, was cool. Yeah, the first one. They're all good. I like it. They're all good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're each like two and a half to three hours. Yeah. The Return of the King director's cut is like over three hours, RJ. But just you know, just just start. You'll feel five.
2: Fast five is two hours and 15 minutes, and I sat through that whole
1: thing <laughs> without taking one potty break. Yeah, I took a potty break.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, I'm giving myself uh, 4.2. I'll just, just throw a 4.2 out there. I all I mean, right. I could give myself a five because, I mean, it for me, it hits all the criteria, um, <laughs> but I'm supposed to go 4.2. <laughs> okay, so yeah. It, because you wouldn't change anything obviously because you're making it for yourself. But well no, I didn't make this for myself. Okay. Yeah, cuz that's so, uh, cuz if I did it would have been a completely different set of movies. So uh, what were the movies that you would have picked then? Uh like, like Predator. mainstream? Okay. Yeah, I would have picked Predator, I would have picked Empire of the Sun. Uh that's that's a John Williams score. I would have picked the thing. Um I might have picked yeah. Chariots of Fire over Blade Runner. Um okay. things like that. Interesting. Yeah. All
3: right. All right.
0: Yeah, it
2: got me interested in scores, though. Good. Yeah.
0: All right. What we got this week? We got... Oh, I got to turn my phone back on that side.
2: um. We're taking a trip back in time.
0: time. Did you start the time. title yet? No, sorry. <laughs> it's, called, uh,
2: <laughs> it's called A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's
0: night's dream. Wait, okay. Yeah. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> if this has nothing to do with Shakespeare, Devin, yeah, does it have anything to do with Shakespeare? <laughs> what were you going to say? If it has nothing to do with Shakespeare, <laughs> then <laughs> what? All right, all
1: right, all right, Hold on, hold on. If it has okay.
2: nothing to do with Shakespeare, then what? <laughs> so, and then what? So, Mike, I this... don't think it
1: has anything to do with that. I think literally it's just probably another summer's down, window's down, <laughs> big save. All Sublime, rap rock, like
2: songs, (laughs) like midsummer, dreaming at night while
0: driving with your windows windows down, down. mixtape. No, so are they? It's
1: the same songs from before. (laughs) I don't
0: know what this is, Devin, Mm, (laughs) but I want you to guess. I know, but like, okay, midsummer night's dream, right? So, is it songs to do while on drugs? Um,
2: not necessarily, but yes. You're you're going along this you're going along
0: the right path. Okay. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. That's that that would be my only guess cuz I wouldn't be like, okay, this is like songs about dreaming and I was like, definitely wouldn't do that. Okay, not the dream part, but you're along the same lines
2: part songs. in a songs way. about hallucinating? Um, no, but yes. Okay. <laughs> you're going along the right path. Songs about fucking But what are you thinking of when you're thinking all these things?
0: Poppers. Summer
2: night's dream. Wet dreams? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we're we're off the (laughs) bat. But I don't know.
1: Okay. In the summertime, it gets hot. So you need water. You need liquid. That's what I mean by
0: wet dreams.
2: Yeah. Oh just drinking drinking water in your dreams Is that a wet dream to you Do you not know what a wet dream is <laughs> Yeah it's where you wake up sweaty <laughs> Yeah and you drink an icy Cause yeah. <laughs> it cools you down
1: yeah. Because I had a wet dream last night What <laughs> yeah. I was drinking tons of ice Yeah I got it's stuck in my
2: bed from all this icy and sweat <laughs> I know what a wet dream is <laughs> I like that cherry flavor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I can mix them all together. Oh yeah, you gotta mix
0: them. <laughs> what did I have the other day? I had something. I think I had a, a rum and coke, and mm. I was like, oh, "This just tastes like a Seven Eleven slushy." Oh. Like it tasted exact because it was like a coconut rum. Ooh. And I was like, "Oh, this just tasted." Because I, when I would get a Seven Eleven slushy, I'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna do a little bit of Coca Cola and a little bit of Pina Colada." <laughs> a and yeah. A pina <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. I Wait till it's like summertime and, and then do bl- like actually blended
0: versions of that. Oh, sounds yeah. dangerous, RJ. You just get an icy and blend it with whiskey or rum. Did it have that equivalent in alcohol? Malibu like 151? Like a suicide, you know?
1: Like, yeah, you it's you just called
0: drinking yourself to death. <laughs> 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 I used to do suicides constantly. Be like, <laughs> yeah. I want Mountain Dew, lemonade, sprite, little Mr. Tib. That's, that's a Long Island, long Island iced tea. That's a, adios, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of recipes
2: for that, but they're all the same thing. It's <laughs> shot of that.
1: that, shot of that, shot of that, shot of that. A little bit of Coke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: A Long Island iced tea is literally a suicide of alcohol. It's like, hey, what are the like the five main alcohols? Oh yeah, put them in there. Oh, what do we need? A splash of Coke. <laughs> like, oh, you mean like a like a half a can? Nope. Like nope, nope. Like just like take some Coke, pour it in your hand, and fucking throw it at the glass. Like that's all you need. A splash. You of know Coke. how
1: sometimes you have a cup of Coke or a can of Coke and you open it up and it bubbles over a little bit. Pour the bubble over into it. That's all you need. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs>
2: Like, oh, that sounds terrible. No, actually, it's really good. No, it's, it's
1: decent and it messes you if
2: up. If you put some head. like lime juice in there, it's really good.
3: Yeah.
0: I like the yeah, idea of RJ source. drinking Coca Cola out of like coffee cups. <laughs> yeah. Like in the morning. Yeah. Do you what want a cup of make... cola? I got a long day ahead of me <laughs> <laughs>
1: sitting there reading the paper, drinking cola. <laughs> Literally, how was your day, RJ? Oh, rough day. Coca Cola <laughs> cup today.
0: Yeah. I'm a Dr. Pepper man myself. I don't like. Oh, I love Dr. Pepper too. I like root beer. Oh, you're a DP guy? (laughs) Oh, I love the DPs. Give me a 3P in there. Okay. Oh, man. (laughs) No, like Dr. I think I am a root beer guy. Ooh, do you know? Have you ever had a a red root beer? Or no, not a red root Sorry. I thought you said, (laughs) I was thinking of. You You pieces of shit. I got excited. (laughs) Are you a cream soda guy?
1: I like cream soda. That's
0: far from red root beer. So I don't there's know what red something root beer called. Was going
1: to be, but I was excited.
0: <laughs> there's something called a red cream soda, Okay. and it's something that's only around in the Midwest states. They have it out here. I'm it's intrigued. Really, it's really good.
1: No, because I like cream soda.
0: It's close to root beer, so I was like, I appreciate you too. Yeah. Cream soda. You guys blood. are family. <laughs> I prefer cream soda because you get like orange cream soda. So
1: Ooh, <laughs> it's like a root beer float. I'm all I'm all for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny if that's. Uh, oh, that is
1: a wet dream right there.
0: <laughs> what is?
1: Uh, it's the mid, the uh, root beer float.
0: Yeah, <laughs> have you? I, I think in California, I think they had them a long time ago. But did you ever guys have Big Reds? Yeah. So a the Big Red store. It's a Walmart brand of soda. That's a red cream soda. Is Big Red. Oh,
2: yeah, okay, so it's kinda like it's kind of like a melted cherry icy, but cola flavored, yes,
0: yep, yeah,
2: yeah, They're good. I made a bong out of a big red <laughs> bottle <of bongs>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. All right. Well, you can find the podcast uh, on yeah. iTunes, Spotify. You can find us on Instagram, Five Song Mixtape. You can find the mixes themselves if you want to listen to uh, these themes. Uh, just go to Spotify, search Five Song Mixtape, all one word. Um, yeah. Next week, I'm excited to trip balls with you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. Trip balls <laughs> and have wet dreams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>